Welcome back to the Money Markets and Macro Podcast, brought to you by Atticus Capital. I'm your host, Liam Hennessy. Now, let me quickly apologize before we get started today. We did have a recording done for this Monday. Uh, Typically, we record these episodes prior to Monday, either during Friday to the weekend, and we publish them on Monday with special reports coming in between now and again. Something happened to the recording on the last podcast episode, so we're going to have to re-record, and I thought I might as well just update and do a different episode, kind of same sort of episode, but different as well. So that's what we'll be doing today. I think we'll start out here looking at the markets, and what we'll do on the second half of today's podcast is we'll... Oh man, this is not good. What we'll have to do on the second half of this podcast today is essentially cover what we're going to cover in our special report last time. So, if you remember on the last podcast, I mentioned the BIS statistics derivatives report that came out and essentially said, oh my gosh, there's $80 trillion worth of swaps forward derivatives sitting around the market and nobody knows why or where this is. And what I I was going to do a podcast on that and I was going to try to analyze it and and go through it a little bit. But then I saw there was a, a flurry of activity that came out around this specific report and it came out with the triennial BIS derivative statistics report that came out in June for or that came out for, I believe that was end of June, 2022. So that came out and then another paper came out, which was dollar debt in FX swaps and forwards, huge missing and growing. That came out on the same, same month, December of 22, um, by Claudio Borio. He's been sort of one of the the pioneers at the BIS who has been covering a lot of the monetary system. He's, he's had a quite a few reports and studies done recently. I remember back in 2020, he, he published a study um, with some of his colleagues, I believe it was titled the, it was one of their working papers. It was titled the global and domestic financial system variations on a theme or financial cycles variations on a theme. Now this one was interesting because it went through, I believe it was domestic, uh, there was the the domestic economy cycles and then global economy cycles. I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly the terms that they used. I think it was, uh, well, what we can do is we can get into that study at some point because it it was actually fairly interesting. It went through and it discussed the sort of the the pro-cyclicality between the two domestic and global economies. So you could more easily draw connections to the latter half of, I guess, this era that we're in, the post-Kufit era of monetary analysis. So applying this to, you know, I haven't seen that done in the most recent analysis by George Gammon, Jeff Snyder, uh, the, the gentleman who did the dollar milkshake theory, Brent Johnson. 
So I think George had Brent Johnson on. They discussed this. Jeff Snyder has done three or four videos discussing the BIS uh, derivative statistics. But in, in light of that, we'll just go through this. I'm trying to fix, by the way, I'm trying to fix my, my trading view so we can go through some of this today and it does not want to cooperate. So as we kind of read through this report, I'll be trying to haphazardly fix this as well. Or I might just have to completely uh, re re reset this whole thing, maybe, possibly. I don't want to. I've got a million tabs open. So let's just get into this. What we can do is we can just read this report. It's not too long. And most of it, I will say, you can find it, obviously, on the BIS website. It's titled Dollar Debt in FX Swaps and Forwards, Huge, Missing, and Growing. And it's by Claudio Borio, Robert uh, McCulley, and Patrick McGuire. So feel free to read this and, and look at the data because it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. And a lot of this does come down to... Re the the failure of regulators typically i think we might have covered this but I, I may have covered this in my my report the case for deflation the regulator regulation authorities regulatory bodies in the united states attempted to solve this problem this huge missing and growing problem they attempted to solve this problem with m3 Right, you know, we have M1 and M2 as sort of that base money uh, calculation to try to get an idea of what the supply of currency is in the United States that's slushing around. And I think M2, because M2 includes M1, I think it's at around 24, 25 trillion right now. And what they attempted to do with M3, which they you know, subsequently gave up in 2006, was... I believe they tried to include larger time deposits, more than a hundred thousand. And <clears throat> I, th I believe they tried to include some types of collateral. Don't quote me on that, but what we can do is try to figure it out because they did give it up in 2006. I'm assuming there may have been uh, another attempt in other countries, possibly. So it says here, M3 is a measure of money supply that includes M2, as well as large time deposits, institutional money market funds, and short-term repurchase agreements, repo, and larger liquid assets. Okay, so I was you know, quarter of the way there. M3 measurements include assets that are less liquid than other components of the money supply and are referred to as near money, which are more closely related to the finance finances of larger financial institutions and corporations than those of small businesses and individuals. So that was an attempt to cover and, and assess and get an idea of how large the system really was because, you know, I, I was trying to come up with some type of analogy that can give us a little bit of context to why there's a whole lot of money that's slushing around and, and moving about in the, in the world that we just don't see on a daily basis. And you, you can only see it when it impacts the things that, you know, you actually do see in the market, you know, when things impact 
commodity prices or interest rates or dollar funding facilities in Switzerland. So it's all of these level things. You can see its effect, but and I, and I like the fact that Eurodollar University, Jeff Snyder's organization, has the entire premise of their entire organization is a black hole. If you take a look at Eurodollar University, I mean, I love that they did this. It's, it's a black hole with Eurodollar University around the event horizon. And the reason that they do that is because Jeff is trying to emulate what is this euro dollar monetary system this global dollar global monetary infinitely vast and complex and infinitely deep and misunderstood you know big system i guess really you know you can't really visually assess a black hole you can't just stand there and look at a black hole and say that's a black hole because it it the light never escapes a black hole. You can only really see it, at least in our perspective, you can only see it by the things it affects around it. And I think that's a great analogy for it. But I was trying to come up with my own analogy. But before we get to that, how about we just get into this? We're already running into a long trailer, long opening today. So let's just get into this report. We'll read through it. Then we'll go over some of the things that I'm seeing in the markets. As we do, we're going to do a little inverted little inverted podcast today for everybody. So it's always good to change it up now again, right? Dollar debt and FX swaps and forwards, huge missing and growing. And it, again, if you're not aware of, you know, what is an FX swap, a forward, think of it as a contractual obligation between two parties where one promises to pay the other and the other promises to pay the one in certain fixed or variable rates. So certain cash flows go from one organization, one side to the other, and they try to benefit from changes in interest rates or prices of some sort so that they can attain, you know, a marginal benefit. Those are swaps. I'm saying forwards more act like future contracts, but over-the-counter future contracts, so they're larger size, they're more customizable. I hope that was a decent explanation, I don't know. So, here we go. Embedded in the foreign exchange FX market is huge unseen dollar borrowing. In an FX swap, for instance, a Dutch pension fund or Japanese insurer borrows dollars and lends euros or yen in the spot leg and later repays the dollars and receives euro or yen in the forward leg. Thus, an FX swap, along with its close cousin, a currency swap, resembles a repurchase agreement or repo, with a currency rather than a security as collateral. Unlike repo, the payment obligations from these instruments are recorded off balance sheet, in a blind spot. The 80 trillion plus and outstanding obligations to pay U.S. dollars in FX swaps, forwards, and currency swaps, mostly very short-term, exceeds the stock of dollar treasury bills, repo, and commercial paper combined. The churn of deals approached $5 trillion per day in April of 2022, two-thirds of daily global FX turnover. And a lot of this is short-term transactions among large institutions. That's essentially where all of this money is. 
FX swap markets are vulnerable to funding squeezes. This was evident during the great financial crisis, which was, again, mostly a monetary crisis, but nevertheless. And again in March of 2020, when, obviously, you know what happened. For all the differences between 2008 and 2020, swaps emerged in both episodes as a flashpoint, with dollar borrowers forced to pay high rates if they could borrow at all. To restore market functioning, central bank swap lines funneled dollars into non-U.S. banks offshore, which on-lent to those scrambling for dollars. This off-balance sheet dollar debt poses particular policy challenges because standard debt statistics miss it. The lack of direct information makes it harder for policymakers to anticipate the scale and geography of dollar rollover needs. Thus, in times of crisis, policies to restore the smooth flow of short-term dollars in the financial system, for example, central bank swap lines, are set in a fog. The missing dollar debt from FX swaps, forwards, and currency swaps is huge, adding to the vulnerabilities created by on-balance sheet dollar debts of non-U.S. borrowers. It has reached $26 trillion for non-banks outside the United States, double their on-balance sheet debt. Moreover, it has grown smartly since 2016, despite <clears throat> The often significant premium demanded on dollar swap funding for banks headquartered outside the United States, dollar debt from these instruments is estimated at $39 trillion, more than double their on-balance sheet dollar debt, and more than 10 times their capital. This feature revisits Porio et al., a 2017 study drawing on the comprehensive data in the 2022 BIS Triennial Survey. First, it updates the stylized facts concerning FX swaps. Okay, yada, 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 you get the picture. So I find that really interesting is that the, a lot of these institutions, and remember, these are short-term collateral for collateral swaps, essentially. So you could say they're risk-free, but during times of crisis, when you're swapping collateral and something goes awry in the interest rate market, in the treasury market, or even in the exchange market between different currencies, the uh, the entire system could anticipate, well, let's say it this way. Say you're, you're, you're a, a Japanese and, what they say, a Dutch, a Japanese insurer and a Dutch, whatever, insurer or non-bank finance pension fund. And you're swapping between you two you're doing a, a currency swap or an FX swap or whatever it is that you put up a certain amount of yen. They put up a certain amount of, what do they use? Euros, I think. I believe they're euros, not, okay. They put up euros, you put up yen. And something happens, a crisis occurs, and the euro shoots up in the yen tanks. And in that, not so much their specific transaction alone, but the entire scope of transactions that are going on between those two countries get priced higher. And I think that's sort of the fundamental element that we're discussing here, especially when there's the, the crisis element. 
And then obviously the, the, the report says central bankers setting policy in a fog because they don't know what's going on. I don't think they've known what's going on for four years. I actually have a quote on that once we get through this from the Federal Reserve in the 1980s. I think you'll find fairly insightful. Moving on here. Payment obligations arising from FX swaps, forwards, and currency swaps are staggering. Considering all currencies, outstanding amounts at end June of 2022 reached $97 trillion, up from $67 trillion in 2016. This matched global GDP in 2021 of $96 trillion, and was three times global trade, $29 trillion, and exceeded both global external portfolio investment of $81 trillion and internal bank claims of $40 trillion. Dollar dominance is striking in this FX market segment, greater than in any other aspect of dollar use. As a vehicle currency, the U.S. dollar is on one side of 88% of outstanding positions, or $85 trillion. An investor or bank wanting to do an FX swap from, say, Swiss francs to Polish zolci, zolti, was swap francs for dollars and then dollars for zolti. I do find that fairly remarkable. The very short maturity of typical FX swap forwards creates potential for liquidity squeezes. Almost four-fifths of outstanding amounts at end of June 22 matured less than one year. Data from April show not only that instruments maturing within a week accounted for some 70% of FX swap turnover, but also that those maturing overnight accounted for more than 30%. When dollar lenders step back from FX swap markets, the squeeze follows immediately. And so that's kind of what we're talking about is these transactions, these transactions are, are these swaps are just like repo essentially international euro dollar repo you can essentially think of it that way you know the federal reserve has a repo program but not everybody can use the federal reserve's repo program only the primary dealer banks that have accounts at the fed so what do the rest of the institutions do what is your pension fund the pension fund doesn't have an account with the federal reserve they're not a primary dealer bank because they're a pension fund the insurance broker doesn't do that even the the exporter you know say there's a there's a manufacturing exporter or whoever works at the the dockyards never owns the dockyards and they're probably going to do a lot of international business and they're probably going to hedge their business in the forwards or swap markets with their largest trading partners or the largest importer, the exports that they receive as imports. <laughs> I'm not going to get myself confused on that one, but for a lot of these non-financial institutions, non-depository institutions, they're doing these overnight swaps, these collateral for collateral swaps, essentially repo. And if something occurs in this market, this massive gigantic market where the 70%, some 70% of these transactions mature in less than a week, that's a lot of money at a very short period of time. And if something happens within that period of time and it shifts the dynamic and willingness of people to participate, that's when you get those massive funding squeezes. So that's that's one of the questions that kind of comes back to, okay, what's the Fed ever supposed to do here? They said they're they're flooding the the world with, you know, money. They're flooding the world with bank reserves, which they're not flooding the world with anything. They're increasing the number of bank reserves, which clearly it doesn't do anything. But that's a whole different discussion for a whole nother day. 
So just keep in mind that a lot of this huge, you know, the 80 trillion that you're hearing, the, the 90 trillion, the 62 trillion, the 100 trillion, whatever, a lot of that matures, a lot of that is contractual and it matures in a very short period of time. Let's move on here. Financial customers dominate non-financial firms in the use of FX swaps and forwards. Non-bank financial institutions, NBFIs, provided proxy by other financial institutions, are the biggest users of FX swaps, deploying them to fund and hedge portfolios as well as take positions. Despite their long-term foreign currency assets, the likes of Dutch pension funds or Japanese life insurers roll over swaps every month or quarter, running a maturity mismatch. For their part, dealers, non-financial customers such as exporters and importers use FX forwards to hedge trade-related payments, what we just discussed, and receipts, half of which are dollar invoiced. And corporations of all types use long-term currency swaps to hedge their own foreign currency bond liabilities. So it moves on here. The report moves on to say most of this debt's outside the United States. It was actually fairly interesting that they mentioned. I want to try to find this this quote. I believe it was 1981. FOMC. All right, let's just take a look. 1981, Mr. Morris. I don't know if I'll be able to find it. So it's essentially the Federal Reserve. Oh. Reading along. What is this all about? All right, let's make sure we mute this. Because it has to do with the last section of what this report had. Uh, no, I don't think so. Dang, that's a bit. Oh. That's pretty, that's pretty unfortunate. Well, okay, moving back here. So it just has one last element here. There's, there's an element here discussing the non-banks missing dollar debt, where a lot of this debt is, we can kind of start through here. Just how large is this missing dollar debt from FX swaps forwards currency swaps? The dealer banks had 52 trillion in outstanding dollar positions. With customers, non-banks had dollar obligations of about 26 trillion. This sum has been growing strongly 17 from 17 trillion back in 2016. It's growing quite significantly, almost 10 trillion in the span of a few years. This $26 trillion debt is likely owed by entities outside the United States for which dollar is a foreign currency. They borrow dollars largely to hedge their dollar receivables and investments in a world in which dollar is the dominant international currency. By contrast, NBFIs in the United States hedge their modest foreign currency assets by lending, not borrowing dollars in FX swaps. You know, one of the things that that really kind of sticks out to me. We'll finish this part and I'll, I'll finish my thoughts here. 
businesses in the United States have scant foreign currency payables to hedge by borrowing dollars off balance sheet. The off balance sheet US dollar debt of non-banks outside the United States substantially exceeds their on balance sheet debt and has been growing faster. At the end of June 22, the missing debt amount excuse me, amounted to as much as double the on balance sheet component, which was estimated at only $13 trillion. Moreover, the missing debt was only 1.6 times larger in 2016. For their part, banks headquartered outside the United States, including some dealers in the FX swaps, have even larger missing dollar obligations. These banks deserve focus because their limited access to the Federal Reserve's discount window for dollars, their estimated off-balance sheet dollar obligations of $39 trillion were much higher than the $15 trillion in on-balance sheet dollar debt, and almost half as big as their combined total liabilities. So one of the things that <clears throat> I've been hearing very often, I mean, like ridiculously often, it's, it's almost constant, is the dollar's done, the dollar's going to the wayside, no one is using the dollar anymore, the dollar is dead, we have to look out for, you know, the new BRICS currency, commodity currency, and we haven't in any of these podcasts yet discussed a commodity currency and how realistic that even is, but that's something we'll save again for another day. But there's a huge amount of skepticism, and I think a lot of it comes down to, yes, you can be skeptical of the dollar, and you can be skeptical of the strength of the dollar, and so on and so forth. But when you're when you're looking at data, information, empirical information and evidence of what's actually being used in the global economy, it said what eighty eight percent of outstanding positions. The U.S. dollar is on one side of those because international organizations, non-financial institutions outside the United States need to use dollars to transact. They need dollars to transact into yen, transact into kroner, transact into euros, transact into whatever currency it is, or to hedge any interest rates, or to hedge any exposures, or liabilities, or payables, or receivables. All of this is being hedged through the vehicle of a U.S. dollar. And it's, it's euro dollar. These are euro dollar contracts. They're outside the purview of the United States. They're dollars that aren't in the United States. They're offshore U.S. dollars. And there's a huge number of them, and they're used everywhere all the time. And so that's the one thing. I want people who are really proponents of this idea that the dollar is gone and the dollar is going to be ended and, you know, China and Russia and South Africa are going to replace the dollar and their region. It's very likely that they can replace some energy transactions that they can, they can exchange internationally between their specified nations, between certain commodities and certain currencies as an intentional affront, or not really an intentional affront, but intentionally trying to get away from the U.S. dollar and Western currencies, that's totally possible. But at the end of the day, that that likely accounts for far less than what we're discussing in this type of paper. So I just want people to keep that in mind for, for those who really fervently believe that the U.S. dollar is going to be ended anytime soon. It's just not. 
It's not going anywhere anytime soon unless something catastrophic happens. I always leave that caveat out there, but you know, keep that in mind. This 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 system, this monetary system, this euro dollar system is much 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 larger than really we have even. I I had even no idea that it was it was this massive. I knew it was massive, and I knew it was hidden and it was in the shadows and it was playing in the background, but I didn't know it was it was to this extent. So since it's twenty eight today. I can't get my trading view to work. Apologies. I wanted to get into some of what we're seeing in the markets. It's been not too crazy. We do have FOMC coming up this week. So keep that in mind. I think we have FOMC and we have CPI. I'm not sure what day CPI is, but keep that in mind. What was our prediction for this week? I think 50. I think we said 50 for this meeting. I think we said 50 for this one. 50 for next one, and then 25-25 for the two following. I believe that's where we were at. So, since I can't figure this out today, and I don't want to sit while I'm recording my podcast attempting to fix something, I will end it here. Please go find this report from the VIS. Read through it yourself. It, it's a little confusing when you're talking about re repo and swaps and forwards, but... There's also the OTC derivative statistics at end June of 2022, which gives you a bunch of pretty charts and a, a, a great visual explainer of what's going on here. And then also there is another study. If you'd like to read it at some point in the future, it's titled, uh, it's the BIS working paper number 864. BIS working papers 864, global and domestic financial cycles, variations on a three. And it it's a 2020 study and it explains essentially kind of what we just covered in the derivatives report, but in a larger, a more, a more, I guess you could say a 30,000 foot view perspective. That's sort of the best way to put it. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye.